Welcome to the Blood Cancer Experience, a podcast series presented by the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society of Canada. This series connects people affected by blood cancers to their community with stories of hope, healing, and help. Hi, I'm your host, George Athens. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the LLSC's ongoing podcast series. Today, we are speaking with Dr. Mary Margaret Keating. Dr. Keating is a hematologist, assistant professor of medicine, and director of undergraduate medical education in the Division of Hematology at Dalhousie University in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Today, our subject is lymphoma, Dr. Keating's specialty. Thanks for joining us today. No problem. Thanks for inviting me. Can we start with uh, a little bit about your background and why you chose uh, to work in this field of medicine? Yeah, I think as we're going through medical school uh, training, we're thinking about what area we want. And uh, anyone who does hematology needs to train in internal medicine first. So we all do three years of internal medicine. And when I was rotating through my hematology rotations uh, in those three years, I think I really enjoyed the mix of diagnosing and treating both cancer and non-cancer blood diseases. Um, Hematology patients, especially some of our cancer patients, can be sicker with complex diseases. And I I like being able to see them being quite sick, but then getting so much better and and the outcomes being so good. And I think uh, that was very... It influenced me very much to go in that direction Um, and some of the long-term relationships, I think, forming with patients and families, um, which I didn't realize uh, was as prominent in in this sort of specialty as it actually is. And that was something that really uh, drew me to this area. Um, And I think as I I studied in hematology, once I went into the subspecialty as a trainee, uh, just there's so many advances uh, in all cancer care. Um, but really in hematology, so many um, uh, advances in the cancers uh, and just seeing and improving the lives of our patients, uh, which has been uh, very uh, interesting, um, both on a a clinical level and to see patients' lives improving. Uh, And when I was a first year resident in internal medicine, my grandfather was actually diagnosed with a a common type of fast-growing lymphoma. And at that time, I remember looking it up um, and I was very confused with all the different types of lymphoma. I wasn't really able to answer many of my family's questions about it. And I think that may have made me more interested in understanding lymphoma um, going forward in my training. What is lymphoma and what are the differences then between, let's say, Hodgkin's and non-Hodgkin's lymphoma? Yeah, so I think the word lymphoma is confusing for a lot of patients because it's not as clear as breast cancer or lung cancer um, because our lymphatic system is goes throughout our body. Uh, so how I usually explain it to patients is we have lots of different types of white blood cells in our body and lymphoma is a cancer of those white blood cells. Um, but there's even many different types of lymphocytes and that each of those can lead to a different type of lymphoma. And there's really over 60 different types of lymphoma. Uh, most of those are non-Hodgkin's and some of them are Hodgkin's. And, and I usually just say that's, it, it depends on what it looks like under the microscope. Um, Hodgkin's and non-Hodgkin's have different characteristics at, at, at what they look like under the microscope and what their prominent lymphocyte or, or cancer cell is. And so it's really our, our expert blood pathologists who, who help sort that out and tell us which one it is so that we can best decide how to treat it. 
um, because those diseases, many lymphomas can present similarly. People have an enlarged lymph gland or, or feel uh, unwell or have problems with their blood counts, but it's not really until we get that tissue biopsy that we can tell uh, which subtype it is, um, whether it's Hodgkin or non-Hodgkin, and then what type of, of, there's even different types of Hodgkin and non-Hodgkin within those categories. Um, so it's, it's, when you say lymphoma, it's really categorizing many, many dozens of different types of blood cancer. It's pretty complex. Um, what do you think a person um, recently diagnosed with lymphoma should know? Yeah, so I think the things I try and highlight in those conversations are that there are so many different types of lymphoma. Um, so to try not to compare with others' experiences because the diseases may have very different um, uh, outcomes and treatments and goals, uh, and especially not to compare with other types of cancer like breast cancer or lung cancer. Um, and that comes to the staging of lymphomas. So, so staging of lymphoma is important and we do uh, give every lymphoma a stage and it can affect the treatment and prognosis. Um, but a lot of patients present with stage three and four lymphoma. When we talk about lymphoma, we talk about stages one to four. Um, but uh, the outcomes can be still very good with stage three and four lymphoma um, compared to with some other types of cancer. Um, because I find when I'm talking with somebody about their diagnosis and then I talk about their stage and their prognosis and what our follow-up plan will be, um, I don't like to start with the stage because I find, you know, it can be shocking for somebody to hear that they're in stage three or four. Um, but sometimes they still might not have that much disease. It might have a very low amount of lymphoma in their body, but it's in multiple places, which is pretty common. And, and people like that uh, can still be asymptomatic and maybe not need treatment for a number of years um, or still might have very good outcomes with a faster growing lymphoma. So I try to, uh, I mean, uh, it's important the staging, but I just try and reassure people not to panic when they hear that term. Um, and, and I think talking about the overall prognosis and goals, because there's so many different types of lymphoma, some of them grow quickly and we, we our intent is to cure them um, and treat them right away. But many of our lymphomas are non-curable. And again, that's a pretty scary thing for people to hear they have a cancer that's non-curable. Um, but many of these are slow growing lymphomas and people can live for many years and not need treatment. Or when they do need treatment, um, when it becomes symptomatic, um, they can still live for many years after that in remission and then they may, may need treatment again. Um, so I think just helping a patient understand a bit about their disease and what things may look like for the future as best we can um, is what I try and um, help people understand. You brought up the word treatment. Um, are there common treatment options and what should somebody that has been diagnosed with this type of cancer uh, consider when looking at treatments? Yeah, so there's some fairly common treatments. Um, usually we're using uh, a combination of chemotherapy, uh, which everyone has usually heard that term um, because those drugs have been around for many years. There's a lot of different types of chemotherapy. Uh, and that just means they're, they're, they're medications that kill rapidly dividing cells, so classically a cancer cell. And they might have more of the classic side effects, potentially like nausea or maybe hair loss, although not all chemotherapies cause hair loss. Um, we commonly use uh, 
uh, immune therapy is the easiest way to describe it, which is not, it's more of a targeted uh, protein drug to the lymphoma cells. Um, so you don't see those side effects as much like nausea or hair loss. Um, so those are usually a combination of these chemotherapy drugs and, and an immune therapy drug uh, is, is what we use for many of our lymphomas. Um, and most of the treatments for our, our most common fast-growing lymphoma and most common slow-growing uh, non-Hodgkin lymphomas are usually given on one or two days every three or four weeks um, for three to six treatments, depending. So it's usually over a number of months. Um, we do use radiotherapy uh, at times for lymphoma as well. Um, for slower growing lymphomas, it's in, if it's only involving one area um, or for uh, more advanced lymphoma, sometimes if there's a little bit of disease left at the end or if there's a big lymph, a really big lymph node, sometimes we consider radiotherapy and we then we uh, consult our colleagues who are radiation oncologists. Um, because as hematologists, we give uh, we treat cancer with chemotherapy or immune therapy, whereas our radiation oncology colleagues, uh, they're doctors who are trained to give radiotherapy to cancer. So sometimes lymphoma patients may end up seeing both types of doctor depending on their disease. We certainly have a lot of newer drugs that are being approved and funded in Canada, especially for relapse lymphoma. And some of these are, are pills rather than intravenous or injection medications um, and, and even newer immune therapies. So a lot of new things going on that are, that are pretty interesting um, and very beneficial for patients, some of the new uh, treatments coming out. What is your advice um, <clears throat> for the management of any side effects that patients may have as a result of these treatments? Yeah, so I think we're pretty good at managing side effects. Um, and there's definitely for our common chemotherapies, there's a range of things people can experience. And some of my patients, even regardless of age, will go through their full treatment and, and feel reasonably well other than some fatigue. Some people have kind of mild to moderate sort of annoying symptoms that affect their quality of life. And then rarely people could have a severe side effect to chemotherapy. Um, the immune therapy we most commonly use is something called rituximab. Uh, people can have little, uh, what we call infusion reactions with that. I mean, it's an intravenous medication. So while you're getting it, sometimes people get a scratchy throat or maybe a hive or a fever. And usually those are pretty easily managed in our chemo room with Tylenol or Benadryl or antihistamines. Um, and then when I talk to patients about chemotherapy drug side effects, I usually put it in three main categories. Uh, one is hair loss, because I, I like to tell them whether they can expect hair loss or not, and that it, it does grow back if they do. Um, a lot of our chemotherapies don't cause hair loss, but some do. Um, and then bowel side effects, people are often worried about nausea or vomiting, diarrhea, constipation. We do routinely use two anti-nauseants um, to avoid those symptoms or reduce them and uh, just encourage patients to let us know right away if they're still having symptoms and then we can adjust those medications. And we have a number of lines of anti-nauseants we can use if people are having difficulties. So I find it would be unusual to have somebody that we is having terrible nausea for a prolonged period of time. Normally we have medications that can help settle that. Um, I talked to them about low blood counts um, because that can occur with any, any of these type of treatments. Sometimes we use a white, I guess I tell patients it's a white blood cell booster sort of injection we can use to 
prevent uh, the white blood cells from going too low. So certain chemotherapies, we use that automatically and some we only add it in um, if it becomes a problem. Uh, rarely people need blood transfusions depending on their chemo or how sick they are. Um, and then more rare, but potentially severe side effects uh, would be troubles with organ function. So rarely sometimes a chemotherapy might uh, cause trouble with the heart pumping function um, or more commonly, but less serious, uh, some pins and needles in the fingers or toes, something that we call neuropathy. So we're always monitoring for these type of side effects and checking blood work. And when we see the patients before each chemotherapy cycle uh, to make sure that we don't need to change or adjust anything. Um, but I find most patients can get through their treatment safely uh, and uh, reasonably well. One final question, um, and I guess it's attitude. Uh, how, how important is a, a positive attitude towards um, dealing with all of this, Dr. Keating? Yeah, I think it's very important. And I, and I always tell patients, you know, I, I want to be realistic. Um, but you know, we always want to be hopeful, right? Um, I, I definitely, um, I, I don't sugarcoat anything, I want them to know what's going on. Um, but I, I think as hematologists, we're all pretty optimistic, positive people uh, in the specialty, um, because we see so many good outcomes. Uh, uh, from people who are quite sick at the beginning. Uh, so a positive attitude uh, can definitely help get you through those kind of three to six months of treatment or whatever timeline it is, depending on your disease, it is a little bit different. Um, but but it is hard to, so at the beginning, people go through the, the usual um, cycles of, of having a, a new serious diagnosis um, that's gonna affect their life in terms of even the quality at that time and just the worry for the future. So you know, I don't, uh, we certainly have lots of good supports to help get people through that as well. Um, because I think there's a lot of fear and a lot of uncertainty uh, uh, at the beginning. And I think it does take time uh, for patients to get to a, a comfortable area. And there's a lot of ups and downs. Um, but I think uh, being as positive as possible is definitely a, a helpful thing. Well, thank you very much for all that information. Very insightful and helpful to uh, those that will be listening to this podcast. We really appreciate you uh, being part of this today. Perfect. Thanks. Thanks for having me. If listeners have any questions about this podcast or need any support or resources to navigate your experience, I encourage you to connect with the community service manager in your region. For more information, visit bloodcancers.ca. If you liked our podcast, be sure to subscribe and leave us a review. You can find us wherever you access your favorite podcasts. We also welcome any ideas for our program, so we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email with your suggestions or comments at info at bloodcancers.ca. Until next time, stay well and stay connected. Thank you for listening to The Blood Cancer Experience, a series of podcasts presented by the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society of Canada. We are committed to supporting the blood cancer community through programs, services, and research.